everyone, and welcome to the Library Marketing for Library Marketers podcast. Thanks for returning to listen today, and welcome to you if this is your first episode. I'm your host, Katie Rothley. I'm a fellow library marketer. I'm also a librarian and artist, and I love books just like you. This podcast is for library marketers, obviously, (laughs) Uh, and I hold informer conversations with other library marketers, but also with some experts in the marketing field outside of libraries thrown in the mix. I do want to apologize to you guys for going more than a month without publishing anything, but things have been hectic. Uh, We're working on a new newsletter, so I had to completely redesign that, among some other things. There were professional conferences, Thanksgiving, and some other stuff going on, Uh, but I do have good news. I have some recordings banked that I hope to edit soon and share with you all, so I am intending on doing that as soon as possible. Also, I want to encourage you, uh, please feel free to send me any questions, comments, or ideas for future topics. If there's something going on in, at work for you that um, you'd like to hear about, maybe for a future podcast episode, feel free to send me an email at R-O-T as in Tom, H, L as in Larry, E as in Elephant, Y, K as in Kite, at gmail.com. All right, let's get started. Yeah, so welcome. Thank you so much for agreeing to join me for my Library Marketing for Library Marketers podcast. I'm really excited to be meeting with you both today or tonight for me, but you're both in Pacific time. So you're like still midday kind of or late afternoon. I'm actually in central time. So we're all Stephanie and I, when Stephanie and I plan meetings, it is, it's like, okay, who's in what time? And yeah. So it is. I just ate dinner. (laughs) Yes, I did too. (laughs) Well, we're kind of representing the whole nation tonight or today. (laughs) Well, for um, for my listeners uh, who aren't familiar with you or haven't um, found your new book uh, titled Practical Marketing for the Academic Library, would you mind both introducing yourselves? Sure. Um, Kimberly, did you want to go first? Sure. Uh, So I'm Kimberly Shoddick. I am the student success librarian at Northern Illinois University, which is about an an hour and a half outside of Chicago in Illinois. And I'm Stephanie Espinosa-Villamore. I am an e-learning librarian at the College of Southern Nevada in um, Henderson, Nevada. And I'm also the lead librarian for the Henderson campus now. And um, I've done marketing I've been the, the um, team lead for our, our marketing team, which we call the comm team for communication, outreach, and marketing, uh, but we tend to rotate leads. So I'm not currently the lead at the moment, but that's where I've gotten a lot of my marketing experience. Interesting. Is it is it like that oh, where you are, Kimberly? So where we are, it was, it's kind of in transition right now. And when I started writing the book with Stephanie, I was actually... Um, at another institution, I was assistant dean for outreach and user services, so um, much more involved in the 
in the kind of strategic planning of outreach and marketing initiatives at that institution. So I'm doing a little bit less of that at my current place, but um, I our, our model is kind of shifting. We had a team and now it's going to be more um, a, a position uh, working with, with other individuals. Interesting. Um, that's different from what I've experienced in public libraries where um, some public libraries, if they have the budget and the ability, they can hire a whole department. And, and then there's like the in-between there where maybe you have a couple people devoted. And then there's the opposite end of the spectrum where um, perhaps one person is assigned, you know, some marketing stuff, but that's not the total focus of their position. Yeah, I actually started out in the public libraries as a youth services specialist. So it was, it's basically like a part-time person working in the youth department. And uh, before I got my degree or my MLIS, and I that's kind of where I started with marketing because they were just like, oh, Stephanie likes to use the computer and make flyers. Stephanie, you know, you want to do some marketing? You want to create our calendar? You want to do our blog post? And I was like, yeah, sure. I like it. So so I kind of got interested in it because these um, it was just kind of based on, you know, what your interest is and whatever was thrown at me, I was like, I'll grab it. I'll do it. I'm happy to, to work on it. And then I learned, oh, this is marketing. Cause I was really young when I got hired. I was 22, I think when I first started. That's excellent. I, I mean, well, even if you just show a little bit of artistic ability, I think that's when people <laughs> tend to throw things your way because there tends to be like this overwhelm when it comes to any kind of um, visual creativity. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, that's kind of similar to my experience too. My first uh, academic library job, I actually did work in a public library briefly, but my first academic library job, I, you know, I was sort of the creative one who had some, some art skills, some creative writing skills and um, general interest in social media. So kind of similarly, just kind of fell into things uh, based on my interests. Yeah, I, th I think that will probably um, lots of people who are listening or in general out in the library marketing um, world probably relate to that. <laughs> so um, tell me about the process of researching and the inspiration behind writing your book. Sure. So I can start with that. Um... So Kimberly and I are both mem we're both members of the Library Marketing and Outreach Interest Group for ACRL, Division of ALA for Academic Libraries. And um, as part of this interest group, I was asked to, or I was offered the opportunity to present um, on a marketing panel at ALA back in 2017, so the American Library Association's annual conference. And so because I was presenting about this concept of marketing, we called it marketing from the heart, and it was um, about empathetic marketing and marketing to the student as a whole person. And I put together just a brief presentation because I was on a panel with, I think, two other people at the time. And I got an email from Jessica Gribble, who is the editor at um, ABC Clio, the library's unlimited publisher. And she said, hey, you know, I saw that you're, you're doing a presentation about library marketing and it sounds really interesting. Would you be interested in writing a book about it? And I said, I love to write. I would definitely be interested. Um, and so I met with Jessica and we had a conversation about what the book might look like. And I've only had experience at the public library and then community college library. So I don't really have any university library experience. So she wanted to bring on a co-author. So we did a co-author search. Um, we reached out and Kimberly 
as part of the interest group was interested as well. And so we started doing research and start kind of combining our own experiences with our own personal research, but also adding um, some case studies from libraries across the country and then putting it all together in the middle of a uh, pandemic times as well. So it got a little bit uh, delayed, but uh, that was kind of how it all got started. Did you want to add anything, Kimberly? Yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to kind of remember. I'm just thinking <laughs> back to, you know, the initial, I think we were really um, ambitious in our initial timelines and, you know, <laughs> things just kind of took shape. And then, like you said, the pandemic really um, put a wrench into things, but I think it was also an opportunity for us to um, reflect on the, how the pandemic had changed the library marketing world. So we were able to include some of that in our book as well. So um, you mentioned how the pandemic changed library marketing, especially for um, academic libraries. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's funny because I say that it, it has changed things and it has, but it also hasn't. Um, you know, the fundamentals are still the same. Uh, the the challenges that I think where a lot of us are facing now are this these competing pressures to provide a lot more virtual programming and um, safe options for our, for our patrons, but also this this push to have kind of normal again and that in person programming. So um, so the the all of those shifts in our services and our programs uh, that is that is part of kind of the the cycle of marketing and um, that impacts you know the work that we do as marketers. So I think we're we're still all trying to kind of figure that out and see where things land. I tend to I tend to think more now that marketing itself um, is kind of an experiment each and every time. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I think that a lot of people are very afraid um, when it comes to if they're new to marketing because they think that it's something that you have to get right or that you have to just know what the right thing is right away. And I, I totally agree. It's an, it's about experimenting, seeing what works and, you know, just being open to trying new things and, and always, you know, assessing them and adapting and moving forward. So um, talk a little bit about the marketing initiatives or the new ideas that you discuss in your book, if you don't mind sharing a little bit of that. You don't have to share all of it because mm -hmm. I I wouldn't want you to reveal the entire contents of your book, but um, yeah, just mention a few maybe. Sure. Well, um, I can start with, so like the base, as I mentioned, the basis for the book kind of started with this presentation I did called, it was called Your Library Loves You Marketing from the Heart. And so we actually have a chapter in the book about marketing from the heart. And we compare that to marketing for the mind. And basically we consider marketing for the mind where we market those services, those kind of traditional library services that all academic libraries tend to offer students so they can do well on their assignments. So those are like um, having uh, the reference desk, having study rooms and computers and, and having databases and those kinds of just the traditional things that academic libraries are known for versus marketing from the heart, where we will offer things in the library that appeal to the student, kind of bring them in to welcome them. Um, one of my favorite examples is when we 
partner with a therapy dog organization and we bring therapy dogs into the library during um, finals week so that time when the students are the most stressed out, they like really just need a study break, they can come to the library and pet a dog and it really does help relieve their stress so that they do end up doing better on their assignments because they had the opportunity to take a break and pet a dog for the afternoon. And it's not something you would initially think, oh, that's gonna help me in my, um, my academic studies, but it's something that really helps the student as a person. And um, it's helped um, administrators and, and faculty and, and staff as well. So, um, so that's just like kind of one quick example. But Kimberly, did you wanna talk on that as well? Yeah, I think, I think your marketing from the heart is really kind of the, the fun, innovative stuff um, that we also have case studies. I'm trying to think of, uh, I have the book in front of me. I can flip through and look through um, some of the case studies from the other libraries that were gracious enough to, to tell us about things that they were doing. And um, I know there was a, a dinosaur, like a blow up oh, dinosaur yes. <laughs> in one of them. Do you remember, can you talk about that one a little bit more? Oh yeah, so I think the idea was like the the T-Rex became like their mascot. And so they would take pictures of the T-Rex making copies. And, and so as a way to appeal to students through like humor, because it's, it's a giant inflatable T-Rex walking around the library and, and posting pictures of them on social media. And so it, it, it brings students in because instead of thinking of the library as that kind of stereotypical, oh, it's a stuffy, quiet, dark, dungeony kind of place to go to when I need to study, it's like, oh, no, the library is a fun place to be. And look how they're they're engaging with us because they know, oh, hey, they're, they're doing something funny that's popular on social media right now. And I like that on social media. So I'm going to pay attention. And then it it kind of it gives this welcoming feeling so that students want to come back to the library. And so they don't see it as a place where they're not welcome. They see it as a place where they can come and feel like a part of the college. That's right. And then there's also the um, uh, Maria at Ed Edelina uh, had the random acts of snacks, oh, yes. um, just Ooh. sort of uh, un unannounced um, times in the semester when uh, when students would be given snacks um, before and during finals week. And I've I've done something similar at my library where I'll take like chocolate and wrap it up in bubble wrap with like inspirational <laughs> messages and just walk around and pass it out. Uh, so it's those those little things, but just that concept of marketing from the heart, uh, I think is, is what's really fun. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, what our teen librarian does at our library. She, um, she pays attention to the school schedule, so the local schools nearby, and she puts out a basket on the lower level of the library because that's where the teen area is. And in the basket is like little self-care things. So there's Ooh. generally like some kind of putty. Um, there's those little spinner fidget things. Oh, yeah. There's um, bubble, uh, bubble pop. Um, I'm sorry, the word is escaping me right now. Bubble wrap or whatever yeah, to wrap. pop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's like bookmarks to, to color and it's and it's super popular. We just had somebody ask us yesterday where all that stuff was. And we had to say, well, it's kind of like seasonal depending on when mm -hmm. final exams are or, you know, other <laughs> um, major tests. <laughs> Yeah, and it's hard, you know, if you are in a library that is kind of has more traditional types of services and marketing, you know, this might seem like a little bit, oh, well, that's not really inside of our mission. But I, I really believe that 
you know, providing a, a really welcoming atmosphere where we do address the needs of the whole student is, is key to our mission. Yeah, one of our library's goals is engagement. So we can always tie back, you know, even if we're, you know, we're giving out fun things or we're having a coloring table or even we've had a, a Lego table in the past and it's going to come up and build things with Legos. And it's like, this relates to engagement. It allows students to engage with us and take a study break and, and get to know the librarians because they're coming up to the desk to ask about the Legos or, or if they color a cool picture and we hang them up on our walls, you know, kind of, it, it might, sometimes it seems a little like, oh, it's something you do for elementary school students or something, but a lot of students, even college students are really seeking that kind of like connection. You know, it gives them nostalgia or it gives them just like a sense of calming during stressful times. Yeah, I, I think I think it's very relevant to offer for all age groups because, um, you know, I, I, I know it's kind of died down a little bit, but even in the last five to eight years or, or however long, um, the adult coloring books were super popular and they're still around. So um, definitely, I, I think it's relevant to even student uh, students of colleges and universities. Yeah, that's such a great idea. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious how you how do you find or figure out what appeals or interests um, kind of draw in the students in a non-traditional way that you you do to market the library? Like how how do you find out how to engage the students? Well, I will say that we have a um, a captive. Uh, audience of student workers. And that is, I think, number one is talk to your student workers. Um, even if you're creating flyers or not sure what terms kind of would make sense for the students, just they're, they're there. They're that captive audience. Um, they, they, in my experience, they love helping. Uh, so, you know, talking with the student workers, definitely. Yeah, I was going to mention that as well. We have great student workers and they're kind of our, our go-to for, for test piloting things and for, for finding out what is popular. And then we also have a really good, um, uh, the, the library staff, they're not, their job isn't to do social media, but they're, they work in circulation, but they love doing social media. So they've kind of taken on that role and they're very good at it. So um, they've kind of stayed on top of like TikTok trends. So they know since that's what the current generation is on TikTok now instead of Facebook, um, because this staff member is like on top of TikTok, um, they're constantly learning what's popular with the students these days. And so that helps them like follow the TikTok trend. So we can create a library video based on the current trend. And so we're we're not like three months behind the times. We're like, oh, we're we're putting those videos out at the time where it's popular and other students are seeing them. Have you and seen also, any? Oh, I'm sorry. Go I'm ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, I was just going to say that also being at a university or even, you know, a college, you're not alone. There are other units on campus that are engaging with students also. So, um, you know, Student Government Association or um, the Activities Board, or there are plenty of other offices that are either, you know, made up of students or um, interface with students and and do more of that kind of for fun stuff um, that is like their mission. So, you know, working with, with those units and learning from them also. Yeah, we partnership. We partnered a lot with our uh, student government for events, especially the past couple of years at uh, the Henderson campus. We have a close working relationship with the 
person in charge of student life. And um, we like to work with student government a lot too. How, how would you recommend if, uh, if a academic library doesn't have that kind of relationship yet with the, with the student affairs, how would you recommend um, that they go about, you know, starting that relationship and maintaining it? Honestly, the first step is just kind of reaching out, finding out who the right contact is and setting up a meeting. Um, a lot of times the colleges are so big that you, you don't necessarily know who's in charge of what, but once you, you find out the right contact and you just kind of send shooting them an email, um, I've set up meetings with people and then we'll do like a meeting over Microsoft Teams if they're at another campus or something. And then we can start to have a conversation about kind of what their goals are and we can talk about what our goals are and then realize like kind of where there's an intersection. We could start to plan an event or at least start to have a conversation about what's possible. Um, oftentimes with like big departments, if you can talk to the administrative assistant, they run everything. And so that really helps because if you can't get in touch with like the dean or the person who's way up in charge, if you talk to the administrative assistant, they can get you in or they can find out something for you. Um, and then that starts building the relationship and it can keep coming back to them. Uh, so you mentioned um, that you utilize the students that are in close proximity to you. I wonder if you've ever heard the the phrase peer-to-peer -peer marketing. Um, I, I, re I read a, an article, I think it was in one of the PLA publications, it could have been ALA, but um, Trenton Smiley talks about it a little bit. So... Um... One of the books that I really liked when I was working in the public library, so it's a little old now, I think it's from 2010, and it was called Bite-Sized Marketing. And mm. I have it here, actually. It's Nancy Dowd, Mary Evangelist, and Jonathan Silberman are the authors. And they actually talk about word of mouth marketing is what they call it. And so that um, inspired a lot of what I was doing when I started the public library was just understanding that you know, if, if someone has a good experience, they're going to tell their peers, they're going to spread the word. And um, sometimes that works better than like a big, huge marketing campaign, because it's just, it's through word of mouth through individual people. I was actually, um, I had an event for our week of welcome, which is sort of the week before classes begin. And um, you know, did all the sort of traditional marketing. And I had a, a student come up and say, well, like, oh, what is this? This is so cool. And he's like, mind if I post on my Snapchat about it? And I was like, Ooh. please. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, that's like what we can all hope for. Exactly. Especially um, the ones that you're not aware of. I wonder how, I mean, I wish there was a way to be able to measure that, but unfortunately there isn't. Um, but that's that's exciting, especially when they just do it on their own. Right. A lot of the times when we've had the therapy dogs in the library, we'll, we'll put out posters, we'll you know send the word, but I'll hear students say, hey, you know, my friend told me about that there was dogs in the library. It's like, yes, they're spreading the word. Yeah, that's, that's so different. Um, Back when I was in library school, um, the graduate library was just very, very quiet. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was even afraid to just answer my phone in the library. And actually, now that I think about it, I think there was zones for quiet and where you could actually talk on your phone. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think some libraries do that model. And one of our branches is very big and, and they have like zones for where you can talk a little bit, you can talk a little more. Now it's more quiet just to kind of help students flock to the certain areas. So there can be quiet study, but there can also be collaboration because that happens a lot with libraries too. So um, talk a little bit about how you do outreach for your academic libraries and what does that look like? So at um, the College of Southern Nevada, where I work, um, a lot of our outreach tends to be through email um, to like individual schools and departments, as well as getting in on their meetings. So oftentimes they'll have like a big department or school meeting at the beginning of the semester. And so we try to ask for like five minutes of their time um, because we know they're very busy. They've got a long meeting schedule, but it's like, we don't need like an hour. We don't need a full 15 minute presentation, but just like five minutes to let you know here's the library, here's our website, here's what's new, or here's what we can offer. So that then they can follow up if they're like, oh, hey, the library um, teaches about research skills and I'm gonna have a research paper assignment. Maybe I should contact them. So things that they might not have thought of, now they know they've seen a face, they have a contact information, and then they can reach out or we can follow up um, if they mention that they're interested during the meeting. And so we've done a lot of that. It's, it's kind of shifted. It was in-person meetings, then it was virtual meetings during the pandemic now it's kind of shifted to sometimes in person sometimes hybrid um, but definitely sending out emails and getting in on those meetings helps us kind of reach out to our first well students are our first constituents but reaching out to the faculty really helps because then they have that the listening ear of the student because they're going to be directly teaching classes you know pretty much every day and at my institution, we we all engage in marketing. You know, we're all sort of, especially for our subject librarians, similar to uh, Stephanie. We you know we have liaison areas, so areas that we mm -hmm. um, that we reach out to regularly. Uh, but we also have um, sort of a centralized form where whoever it is, a staff member, a librarian, can submit um, something that they want promoted. And there are about, I don't know, 10 or 15 different channels that um, that form currently goes to me and one of my colleagues. And uh, we do the work of, of promotion across all different um, social media and um, our, our local um, public radio station. So there is more of that kind of uh, traditional, um, what is the term? Uh, Hub, spoke and wheel, hub and spoke, I'm <laughs> messing it up, where you have um, sort of like one message and then you push it out into multiple channels uh, just to kind of save our our staff members and our, um, our library faculty time to kind of figure out how to do that and where is the, where are all the places that we promote to, things like that. I'm curious about that. Uh, what kind of information do you collect on this form? So we um, so the form is sort of instructional too because we want the the full copy for the message. We're not gonna you know create that. they they know the information. so um, so we ask for, and mostly it's for events, but this could be used to promote services or resources as, as well. Uh, so we ask for the title and um, some brief information. Uh, there are checkboxes for the various venues. So, you know, some things are not necessarily appropriate to um, promote to, in our 
in our local newspaper. You know, maybe it's just an internal community event uh, or or a resource, especially. So there are boxes that they can check to say which which um, avenues do they want us to market into. And throughout the form, there are instructions about. Okay, well, it first it needs to be submitted to our internal. Uh, calendar for our university events, because we're going to use that event link in our promotion. So here's how you fill that out. So a little bit of it's instructional to say, you know, make sure you get this done first, and then you can fill out this form with all that information. And then there's also a, a place to upload any, any images. Stephanie, do you have anything similar um, at your community college? Um, we don't have one like specific to the libraries. We like our the college's marketing department for just marketing the college in general has a, a place where you can submit a flyer if you're having an event because we do have different departments like we'll have diversity committees like um, we've got a women's alliance. We've got like a Asian Pacific Islander uh, committee. We've got uh, African American Heritage Committee. And so if they're having an event, they'll put a flyer together and they'll submit through the marketing communication um, department of the college. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the library will submit through that, but you have to follow very specific guidelines, make sure the logo's in the right place, make sure that like you're following all the branding of the college itself. And so sometimes we'll, we'll submit library events through that to get advertised, but sometimes it is more internal and it doesn't necessarily need to go to the whole college. And so we might just mm -hmm. create flyers and things within our particular campus or within our particular library, just kind of depending on the situation. So it's it's nice that um, that at at your community college you have the college's marketing department, and then at um, at your institution, Kimberly, that uh, that you're getting all the information handed to you through that form. It's so you don't have to be responsible for anything but distribution of it. Yeah, it is. Marketing is a lot of work. So, you know, if however we can distribute that work and um, not expect, you know, one person to come up with everything, make the flyer, you know, send it everywhere. It's, uh, it's better for everyone. Uh, so when you're targeting the different um, users of the academic library, so for instance, students, professors, and then probably college and university staff, how, how do you change your messages um, depending on who you're talking to? So one thing with um, administrators that I've noticed is that they really want short and they want like the numbers and then they want like, how is this gonna make our college look good? So with students, you know, we're focused more on, you know, we wanna bring you into the library, we wanna make you welcome, we wanna, you know, let you know what we have to offer. With administrators, it's more like, this is what we did. That's really great. And here's why, you know, and it's kind of like it's straight to the point. And sometimes it tends to be a little bit more like uh, quantitative data, like here's the percentage that we, you know, we always want to continue to assess. And so if we can provide those numbers that, hey, we we increase student learning by this percentage because students use these library resources, you know, then that looks really good to the administrators and they can share that out. And then, you know, if there needs to be funding later on, you know, they can tie it to something specific because they can show that the library had a positive impact. Um, but then not forgetting that, you know, we're also telling stories. It's not just all about the numbers. So like, like I've mentioned, our, our administrators love dogs too. So they want to come into the library and pet a therapy dog. So just making sure that they know like the positive stories, like we had um, 
a student come into the library who just found out that their mom was diagnosed with cancer. And they wrote mm -hmm. on our whiteboard because we had like a comments on our whiteboard right outside the therapy dog event. And they wrote, you know, I didn't know how I was going to survive the day, but thank you so much for offering these dogs because it helped me survive after I found out about my mom's cancer diagnosis. And so telling those kinds of stories that show how it positively affects our students, our clientele, and, you know, it, it makes the administrators want to continue those types of services too. So, you, you know, it's tweaking the message a little bit just based on, you know, what they're looking for. And I had to, I had to look at our, um, in our book to figure out what pages was on, but uh, there is, we do talk a little bit about um, personas, creating personas. It's not something that I've personally done in my library, but there is a lot of interesting research about um, creating personas for marketing purposes. So creating these sort of, um, you know, fake uh, users that are are based around some characteristics for our different groups and um, and then coming up with uh, tailored messaging to those to market to those personas is another approach that I think is really interesting. What would you say you spend the most time focused on in um, marketing and communications for each of your libraries? So at our library, um, our comm team, the communications outreach and marketing team um, has like subcommittees almost. And we have a subcommittee for like print marketing, which they, we basically like make posters for our hour signs and um, things like that. We have a subcommittee for events. We have a subcommittee for social media. We have a subcommittee for our news blog that carousels on our website homepage. And I think we have a subcommittee for branding, just to make sure that the branding is consistent. And I feel like of those subcommittees, like the most time is spent on events. And then right behind that would be like a tie with social media and our, our blog posts, because we do, we cycle those blog posts pretty regularly. We try to change them up every two weeks or so. And so we constantly have to have content to go up on the website. So we have to have somebody writing those articles, getting it all together, getting the photos. Um, so that takes time. And then our social media is very, you know, we want to stay current. You're supposed to post pretty regularly or else it gets stale, students stop looking. So that stay keeps pretty busy. And our events, even though we don't have like a ton of events, we'll have like scheduled events throughout the year, um, especially around holidays. Like we've got a lot going on for Halloween this month. Um, we'll have like welcome week type events when the semester start. And so we want to make sure we always have a library presence at those larger college events. And so it, it takes a lot of planning and making sure that all the pieces come together. So I would say that those tend to be what takes up the most time at our library, at least, but every library is a little different. Yeah, I would agree that the programming aspect, um, the events and programming is definitely the most time consuming. And, you know, a lot of people think of marketing just as the promotion piece, but it's really, um, it's, it's the, let me talk about this too, the products that your library has, which mm. are the services, resources, all of that. And for a lot of it, it is the, the, um, the programs. Would you include a library, academic library staff also as like a, almost kind of a product of the library that you would have to kind of include them in the marketing process or even as something to market to students and administration and and professors you mean like marketing our people 
like as experts or um, resources to utilize in whatever way is convenient or advantageous. No, absolutely. We are, we're always saying how, you know, the, the our librarians are friendly. You know, we have people who are here to help you. You know, we try to market not only like our spaces and our, our tangible products and our intangible products, but we also do definitely we'll talk about our people and not just our librarian, like our circulation staff are amazing. Like any student that needs to check out a study room or they have questions about our reserve textbooks, which are the textbooks that we keep uh, behind the desk in case student needs to use it in the library. Um, that's all run by our circulation staff. And so we do, well, we might not do like a full on campaign of, hey, get to know our circ staff. We will, we're always talking them up. We're talking up our librarians and how friendly we are. And when we do like surveys that go out to students, we try to find out, you know, are we doing well? We'll ask questions related to like the staff themselves. And almost every time when we get our responses from students, they're saying, oh, they're everyone at the library. So friendly, so helpful. So, you know, those are the words that pop up over and over again. So I feel like, okay, we're doing a good job marketing that. And, uh, Excuse me one moment. I'm going to shut my door because my um, pets keep going in and out. That happens to me too. See, it's my dog. He's usually whining, whining oh. to leave. And then when I let him out, he's whining to come back in. And I'm like, choose oh. one. <laughs> yeah, I, sh I should have done that from the from the start, but they were so quiet at first. Now they're getting <laughs> restless, but oh. I will just edit this part out. So keep <laughs> it in. Uh, I did want to mention um, Mara Thacker and, um, and, Sarah, Sarah Christensen at the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana have these amazing um, librarian trading cards that they created. They're really like stylized um, action hero-y kind of trading cards that have like their librarian superpowers on them um, for the, I think there are 25 librarians that they created these for. So um, there are a lot of like fun, creative ways to market the, the people um, and and the services that those people provide too. That is so cool. I wonder if they um, have made any templates available to others to kind of emulate what they've done. Yeah, I don't, I, you could definitely check it out. There's this, um, there's this article um, from Smile Politely, which is sort of the local, um, uh, magazine out in um, Champaign-Urbana. They did a, a story on it um, and you can see pictures of all of them. And um, I, I don't know how they did. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure Sarah created them. And she has like a really good uh, background in graphic design. So you definitely need somebody mm -hmm. with that graphic design background to be able to do that. But I will, <clears throat> excuse me, I will say um, the program Canva, C-A-N-V-A. Um, so if you go to canva.com, they we use that program a lot when we're creating like quick little pictures for our social media and it's, it looks so fancy and professional, but you don't have to have a lot of um, background in graphic design to be able to create these things. So even like, if you're like, Oh shoot, well, I've never used um, Photoshop before. or I don't know anything about putting together graphic design. If you go to Canva and you create an account and I believe it's free, probably up to a point, some of these, you know, uh, types of programs allow like a free service up to a certain point. Um, but you can sign up, and you'll have the ability to create like really professional looking um, marketing materials using that program. So I can, I can easily imagine making library and trading cards with that. 
Well, I love Canva. We use it at our um, institution and uh, it it we have the one of the paid subscription levels. Nice. I cannot recall which one it is. Um, there might be a nonprofit one. There might even be like a school one, but the free one is very limited. I mean, it's really still a great resource and tool to use, um, but I believe you don't have access to all of the images they offer, and right. then you can't um, resize what you've created into other documents. You just have to start over. There may be even um, some limitations on what you can download into what, which formats, but Overall, it's such an amazing mm -hmm. um, resource, especially if you're on a limited budget. It's fantastic. Yeah. I know um, I have used Photoshop and mm -hmm. Illustrator and a couple of the other ones. Those are, I mean, it takes a bit of learning to understand how to fully use everything. And there's a bit of a learning curve and it's very intimidating. Uh, but Canva takes away all of that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I also use Canva and we, we have a paid version as well because it does allow a lot more features and you can actually create a brand. Uh, so you can choose your colors and logos and fonts that align with your brand. And then just with the click of a button, apply that brand to anything that you've made. I've even um, up uploaded fonts into Canva if they didn't have Ooh. the one I needed. So it's it's very versatile. Um, they also have the option so you can have like a transparent background. So just the image that you want on there and then the rest of it is it disappears after you download it. That's really handy because one of the biggest it's, issues we run into with flyer creation is trying to put in logos and the logo doesn't have a transparent background. And it's like, oh, there's that white square around it. Ask your um, marketing department over there at the community college for a vector and, or a PNG with a with a transparent background. They should have that available. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm a little curious. Do you um, with the blogs that you write? Do students write that, or just specifically staff? And do you repurpose content from blogs for social media, or how how do you do that? So at our college, um, our blogs are pretty much written by staff. Um, we've talked about having like student written articles before and we've like experimented with it, but just because we're doing it so frequently and we have these tight deadlines, it hasn't really caught on, but we're always open to like the idea of maybe in the future we could do like a guest student blog type thing. But typically since we're turning around every two weeks, new stories, um, they're written by our librarians and it tends to market like our services or we have like several categories. So there's like um, like marketing our, our resources, our collections. So if we got a new database, we might write an article about it. If we're letting students know, hey, these are our pro-con databases, we might write an article, especially around the time when students are doing like um, persuasive speeches in our communications department. And then we have like news articles that are geared towards, hey, here's our new uh, librarian that we just hired, get to know them, and it's a quick interview. Um, or we'll do an article about um, some of the books that we have on display for Band Book Week. And so, um, we will kind of uh, sometimes we'll repurpose it for social media, but more often than not, what we write on the blog, because it's a little bit longer, it doesn't really fit for social media. And what's on social media doesn't really fit for blogs. So it is really two separate mediums. Um, but it does kind of depend, like if we are like 
highlighting um, a particular new librarian or something, we might post their picture on social media, but then have the full article on uh, the website. Um, but yeah, that tends to be how it's run. Um, I really enjoy, like I started out writing blogs more often when I first was working on it, and then um, it's kind of been passed on to, to other librarians to give them some experience. And I think it's a great way um, to get to know the different librarians, the different staff members, and to, to see who has strengths where and kind of write what you're interested in, but that also like markets what we do have at the library to our students because we rotate them like we have a little carousel going. And so there's a picture and it slides down, there's another picture. And so it's one of the first things you see on our homepage when you go to the library website. Do you do something similar at your university, Kimberly? So our library blog is, um, is we call it library news. And there are a number of people who have access to writing um, to that. And it's all our, our staff and library faculty. And um, basically how, how we run that is if somebody has an idea, they can, they can write something up. Um, otherwise, I will write a blog entry for anything that comes through that marketing form that I was talking about. So mm. there's constantly stuff being fed through from either events or, uh, you know, somebody published recently. Uh, so that's something big. And, you know, the academic library world is our library faculty publishing and presenting. And um, so, you know, they might do a write up like when, when our book was published, I, mm -hmm. I wrote a story about that, about myself. <laughs> so, you know, self promoting ourselves also uh, in the academy as uh, scholars, as well as an important piece. It's actually a great example because you're able to write an article about the book coming out for our social media. We just posted a picture of me shelving the book when it got to our library. And it's like, oh, oh I the love book that. and it's going on the shelf. <laughs> That's so cute. Very nice. <laughs> um, do, do either of you have an editorial schedule or calendar that is planned out in advance? And do you collect data from posts after they're published? So our, our um, social media subcommittee kind of handles that. We're not really tracking too much of the data, um, just kind of if we're asked for statistics that they might collect that. Um, but they put together a calendar as far as like, you know, here's October, we're going to be doing this and this and this for Halloween or for whatever, Band Books Week or things that are coming up. So they'll kind of put together like a master calendar of events, but it's not really like an editorial schedule. It's kind of just more focused on what specific things we want to make sure we have happen in the library as far as any like internal events and any social media posts throughout the year. And we um, we're we do something pretty different than my my last institution. My last institution, we did focus on um, social media a lot more and specifically raising engagement on social media. So there, we did have um, a, a schedule of, you know, how, how many posts, what, what kind of content uh, and, and tracked that carefully. And we were able to get an increase in our engagement through, um, you know, careful engagement strategies. And my current institution, there is just, there's so much competition uh, for student attention. Uh, we've we are kind of transitioning to um, to utilizing the university's social media as opposed to our own, because our mm -hmm. students, um, you know, they they 
they might not want to subscribe to 10 university accounts <laughs> to get mm -hmm. the information. So we're going to um, focus more heavily on, on using the university's main social media pages. Will you be keeping your social media channels that you have had, or do you think you will solely get rid of them after you're utilizing the university's channels? I think that is um, yet to be seen. I will say that it mm -hmm. is an emerging conversation in, in some academic libraries and some university libraries about um, the utility of, of the of regular social media postings on university accounts. And they're, it's certainly different at every institution, but I think mm -hmm. that some university libraries are seeing um, not the return of, for investment that they hope. Um, so I think, I, yeah, ask me again in a, in a year and I'll be excited to see what happens. Well, we'll do to that. <laughs> um, I had another question here. I'm curious if uh, when you're exploring new initiatives or solutions, um, maybe to problems that you notice or observe students having or that they have communicated with you or even professors or just anything at all um, as it pertains to the library. Are these new initiatives and or solutions encouraged and supported by your administrators? Is that something you have to ask for permission for or do you just kind of implement them and then report back? It really depends on the situation, but um, we're lucky that we have a lot of support from our library director. We're, we're, the way we're structured is we have like our librarians and we have a, a lead librarian for each campus and then we have our director. And so like some things like the lead librarian, so I'm lead librarian for the Henderson campus. So I can make some decisions, you know, that pertain to our campus, but if it's kind of a big change or a big marketing like if it's something outside the norm we haven't done before and it's something like if we were bringing in therapy dogs for the very first time, um, that would be mm -hmm. something I would want to have a conversation with my director about before we just bring them in. Because there's logistics in terms of, well, do you know, we have to make sure that the therapy dogs are licensed and, you know, that we have um, the pr proper permissions. Are we allowed to bring animals on campus? What happens if the dog has to go to the bathroom? You know, just kind of working through some of these logistics. And, um, and we're very lucky that our director is very supportive of what we do. And as long as, you know, we can kind of back up with what we're doing supports our students, then, um, you know, they're very much on board. And then outside the library, there's the upper administration as well. So we don't, we, we're lucky that we have the freedom and flexibility where not everything has to be run through every upper administration channel. Most things we can go to, to our library director for. Um, but mm -hmm. if it's something that does start to like affect the whole college, or if it's something that we want to share you know, to the whole college, we want to make sure that like every department on the college knows that the library is doing this, um, then we can go to our director first and she can have those conversations um, with upper administration as well. Yeah, I think that a lot of times new ideas or suggestions um, actually involve, you know, more than just one person. So, you know, whenever I have an idea to circulate something new and I want to I want to make it happen. I have to realize that that involves technical services, that involves our circulation staff, that you know that involves a lot more people. So, um, so our you know our administration is very open, and um, but you know just being aware of uh, people's bandwidths and um, the impact that even you know an event in the library might have on on other staff as well. 
So we only have about mm, 12 minutes or so left for our interview. Um, I'm wondering what is your favorite experience or memory of working on and writing your book together? <laughs> um, so it's kind of a fun experience being in different states. Like we've never really met in person. So all of our interactions have been virtual and we've had a lot of virtual meetings at a time, you know, when the pandemic was shutting things down anyway, you know, everything was virtual anyway, but also, you know, it would be really hard for me to fly to Illinois right now um, to, to meet with Kimberly in person. So I have just a lot of positive memories of us just being able to have those virtual check-in meetings and, and share our screens and say, okay, here's our, our tentative calendar. Here's our timeline. Um, what are we going to do as far as editing? And, and I think that Kimberly and I work really well together because um, we're on the same page a lot and we're so collaborative and I can say, okay, I'm, I'm done with this chapter. Kimberly, can you look it over? And then I'm going to look over your chapter. And so we had a great process of just, we would each write a chapter. We would each edit each other's chapters and to kind of make sure that everything worked together seamlessly. And then um, I think it was also kind of fun writing like the introductions and conclusions because we got to be a little bit more personal with that. It didn't have to be so focused on, okay, let me make sure that I've cited my sources in APA style and included all the research, but I could kind of speak from my own heart about my personal experiences and have the opportunity to thank the people who helped me along this journey. And so, um, so a lot of that, even though it was all virtual, I think it was, it's all very positive memories and, and positive experiences. I think for me, um, yeah, Stephanie was super easy to work with. I got very lucky that I agreed to work on a book with somebody that I didn't know very well. And it turned out to be just very <laughs> laid back and easy to get along with. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to meeting Stephanie at a future conference, I think, um, hopefully in the next year. Uh, but for me, my, my favorite memory was just honestly receiving the, um, the, the books in, in the mail, uh, <laughs> and just kind of like physically holding it. And, um, and it, this is my, I've, I've written chapters, but yeah, this is my first, you know, book. And so just being able to hold it and, and look at the, yeah, just actually physically look at it was really exciting. So. That's so awesome. I, I bet there was like a moment, like I co-made this. <laughs> <laughs> My name is on there. <laughs> People are buying it. It was uh, yeah. funny. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say it was funny because they give us a, a few free copies in the mail. And so I got this, my husband brought in this box and it was heavy. And he said, oh yeah, you got a box and it says media mail. And I'm like, media mail. That's usually when someone's sending you books. Who's sending me? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then I opened it with my toddler nearby. So he could like, mommy wrote a book. <laughs> I was just thinking about um, too recently, Stephanie and I were talking and I, I checked WorldCat to see how many libraries had it. And that was really exciting too, to be like, people have the book and they're reading it. And so, yeah, it's just, it's really fun this part of it writing is hard but this part's been really fun <laughs> are there any future plans for another book together or <laughs> we haven't discussed anything I'm, I'm I would always be happy to work with Kimberly again um, at the moment we don't have any book writing projects in the works but we are doing a lot of marketing for the book we've been doing some um, podcast plans we've been doing some presentations and so I think that's kind of fun. At least we're, we get to continue to work together in that capacity. So uh, 
Well, I have two more questions and they're, they're completely different from each other. Um, is there, do you each have a favorite library marketing book or marketing in general book that you use as like your go-to reference or where do you get your inspiration or information about how to market at your libraries? I have like 15 different answers for this. <laughs> so I'm just going to like list them really quickly. Um, Ned Potter's book, the, uh, mm what is it? The marketing kid or library marketing. Hang on. I, I wrote it down somewhere and we <laughs> Tool, reference it. Toolkit? I yes, think it's the library, toolkit, is it? library marketing toolkit was, um, was one of the first books that I read when I was like, okay, what am I doing? You know, how do I do this? And, um, that had a more practical spin. So I think that was the, a big influence on me, but then also, um, as far as now looking, looking for ideas now, um, uh, the marketing libraries journal and, um, as well as, uh, the journal for library outreach and engagement, uh, mm -hmm. those are two, two library marketing journals that are, that are both open access. You can just go read them for free and get like all of the ideas. So, um, that's great. And then the last thing of course, is the library marketing and outreach interest group, which, um, I don't know if they're still active on Facebook. I'm guessing they are, uh, I, I quit Facebook. So I super <laughs> miss that group, but it was such a good place to like bounce ideas off and like hear what other people were doing. There's also, they have a, um, a uh, list, not a listserv, but on ALA Connect, like it's like a listserv. Uh, so mm. there's still a presence there, but really the Facebook group was where it's at. So um, if you're on Facebook, definitely check them out. And I will give Stephanie the rest of the floor. Oh, no, she, you pretty much covered them. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I just was going to say, I have to commend you for quitting Facebook. That must have <laughs> taken such strength. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm like slowly turning away from social media and, and library marketing duties in general. So while I'm really enjoyed this, it's, this is sort of the closing chapter, I think on some of the, some of that for me. And, um, I mentioned earlier, the bite-sized marketing book, that was one that really inspired me um, when I first started. And I still tend to turn to it, even though it is, it was published in 2010. So it, not the most recent marketing book, but um, that along with Ned Potter's book kind of inspired me and was something that I would turn to. And then I was going to mention the Facebook group as well, because it's just, I, they tend to still be active. I don't know how often they're posting Facebook algorithms. I'm still on Facebook, so I don't know if the algorithms are like just not sharing it as much, or maybe I'm just, I need to check back in every um, more frequently. But um, But that's a great place when you can bounce ideas off other people and get feedback from people who are doing this work right now. I know there's a, a library marketing marketing communications conference. I keep forgetting the acronym, but um, but having that opportunity to go to the conference, especially when it's virtual and you don't we don't necessarily have to travel, and being able to talk to and, and listen to other people who are doing the work right now, I think having those people you know live really helps. Will either of you be attending um, the library marketing and communications conference in November? Not this year. Um, I'm hoping to. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping to attend more conferences next year. I'm even crossing my fingers that I'll be able to go to ACRL and see Kimberly <laughs> next year. So that's mm -hmm. the kind of a tentative plan. I've got, I've got a toddler and a baby, so travel is a little difficult mm -hmm. right now. But um, as they get older, and I'm starting to hopefully move that way, um, especially as things are starting to slowly get better with the pandemic. So 
but yeah, um, it didn't, didn't work out for my schedule this year, but I've been previously and definitely recommend that conference. Great. Well, thank you. Um, if either of you are active online, uh, where can our listeners find you? Um, so I have a, a website. It's stephaniespinoza.com. And then um, on social media, uh, facebook.com slash Stephanie Espinoza Villamore. Um, I'm not always super active, but I try to post on there occasionally. And um, and if you want to learn more about kind of what our library is doing, if you want to see some of our blog posts, you can see our website, uh, library.csn.edu. And we have icons for all our social media at the bottom as well. If you want to take a look at our TikTok, our TikTok is very active and popular. Our Facebook, our Instagram as well is on there. And I am pretty locked down now on the social media, but I am on, on LinkedIn. So, and I do occasionally post uh, professional sort of updates there. Uh, so you can just find me, Kimberly Shotick, uh, last name S-H-O-T-I-C-K. Yeah, I've been reading lately that um, LinkedIn is actually kind of on the up and up as far as doing marketing there. Like it's, there's a huge opportunity there. I'm not sure that I could handle all of the social media channels <laughs> that I have to and do all of my other responsibilities and add LinkedIn, but uh, apparently that's, it's huge. All right. Well, thank you so much for meeting with me tonight and talking about library marketing, especially for your respective colleges and um and then talking about your book. I'm really excited to check it out and read it. And um, I'm so grateful that you took the time out of your day to meet with me. Thank you so much. Thank you Thanks for, for having, having us. us. Yes, we loved it. Thank you. And hopefully I'll see you at a conference in the future. But if not, uh, I'll definitely be watching out for like another book. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to Great. keep in touch. Thank yeah. you. Thank oh, you. I definitely will. Thank you so much. Um, I hope you both enjoy the rest of your night. Well, it's not night. Well, for one of you, it's it getting is there. night. Yeah. <laughs> All, All right. right. Thank, thank you. you so much. Take, Take care. care. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope it was as helpful for you as it was for me. You can follow this podcast to keep track of new episodes and find it primarily on RSS and Spotify, but also on some other major podcast platforms too. Find me on Facebook at Library Marketing for Library Marketers. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review or sending me feedback at rothleyk at gmail.com. Until next time. Yeah.